morning's scripture is Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that our glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Don't you just love that scripture? Don't you? I mean, it, I just do. I just love that scripture. I feel like I want to ask Daniel to read it again, and just, I just maybe I could just shut up. Don't say anything. No amens. But um, such, and you know, my wife. When I first met her, uh, I I was a new Christian, and she was. I remember she was memorizing that. Um, part of scripture that was just read she was memorizing it and I remember well, that, it caught my attention and then she caught my attention you know, but it's kind of in that order I want you to know that, uh, but it's such a beautiful scripture it, it, has, it has such a high um, lofty feel to it and we're going to talk about that so uh, I'm a person that likes to see the big picture and that's why I'm attracted to, to that I think um, I love history I love to know when I look at today's headlines in Washington, D.C., that it's not the first time we've had a mess. That's part of my deal. My anxiety level comes down as I see the big picture. And the biggest picture we can see is when we see God's view of things. And um, so uh, when I was, like, for, for me, uh, 50% of, of the population, and I, and I know that there's, you know, so you represent the general population, but so 50% of you are field dependent in your learning, meaning that you have to see the big picture to understand the details. And others can just grasp uh, the, you know, look at the details and from there kind of figure out the big picture. So it depends, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like where are you, what's your learning style kind of a thing. But for me, uh, I love a view of the big picture, and then that helps me to understand how the details fit into place. If I look at a tree, I'm much better off to understand the tree when I see what the whole forest. And uh, uh, when Patty and I were first married, we did a uh, we, we auctioned off a, uh, a weekend with another couple. We didn't, you know, you don't get to choose that. They they bought it. We had to. We were with them the whole time, and I didn't know these people very well. Really, really sweet people. But he was in the other fifty percent. And so by a few, after a few hours, this guy, he, he loved technology and computers and details and phones. He was talking, he was trying to describe how phones work to me. And I'm, I'm just nodding my head thinking it was about 8 o'clock on Friday night thinking, oh, this is going to go till Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, I need, you know, I just need to know what a phone, give me a phone and I'll talk on it. That's what I need to know. Anyway, um, but this and, and it describes Seattle to somebody. You could go downtown Seattle and take pictures of the street, right, and or f- get your feel for Seattle on the streets of Seattle, which is one way, to, a good way to learn about Seattle. And then this would be more. This would be more my way. And the problem with my way is that Seattle is shrouded in clouds. Can you believe it? Well. <laughs> 
But um, that tells you a little bit about where we're going this morning because of in all the places in the New Testament, this would be one of a few places that give you the, as big a picture. So another one would be John's Gospel where he says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and he was in the beginning with God. And you, I mean, it's just talking about cosmic stuff that you can only you know, use your imagination. And then maybe Revelation, that, that book that's at the end, and it has a lot of big picture stuff in it. But right here in, in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul has talked about the big picture in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then chapter 4, he, he comes back down to earth. But at, at the end of chapter 3, which is what we just read, is this amazing prayer. And it's a prayer that helps us to see the, the big picture. To pray the, the biggest prayer that we could maybe pray ever is what Paul is, is doing here. He models it for us. And we need that. And this prayer, it's really, I, I, at an individual level, and we we're celebrating uh, this particular Sunday, and I'll work that into my sermon, but just at an individual level, there's food here for your soul, deep, rich food for your soul. So I hope you get that today. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an outline here that will give us, um, so you, just so you know, we're going somewhere. And these are uh, things that Paul brings out. We're going to lift our eyes, kneel before the Father, experience his love, and then ask and imagine. So those will be our, uh, we'll build the, uh, this around the, those three concepts or words. All right, so he says in uh, chapter, verse 14, for this reason... I kneel before the Father. So we have to ask, for what reason? And if we go back into chapter 3 and then chapter 2, we'll find out that the re- in chapter 1, the reason is the gospel, the truth that God has come into our world, and by what he has done, he has made everything right. Vertically, between God and people, this is always helpful to think in terms of the cross, being vertical and horizontal, with people, people who have been at odds with each other are now reconciled in the cross through what God has done, vertical and horizontal. And if, if, you're not, if there's somebody that you're not reconciled with, there's an invitation there. The cross invites you to go rec- reconcile with that person. It's, it's a, it, so that's the gospel. And it's good news because it comes to people who are imperfect. And you'll never know how much God loves you until you know how imperfect you are kind of a funny way it works. But um, so we have, we have that as the reason for what Paul is going to pray. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. So what is it about kneeling? I thought I would ask each of you this morning to actually kneel. Well, it would be a good thing to do. When was the last time you kneeled before the Father, or knelt? Is that the way you say it? Knelt before the Father. I know some of you, if I asked you to kneel, you would need help getting back up. And you're not probably running in the race next week, but I understand all that. We have creaky knees. But it's a good thing to kneel before the Father, to literally do it, not not just metaphorically think about doing it, but to get... It's a big, it's a difference. You, you become, in a, it's a physical manifestation of something that goes on inside of you. You're submitting to God as you kneel. So in the Bible, the, the main way that people prayed, the typical normal way to pray, a little different from, from us, is standing up. 
Have you ever fallen asleep while you're praying? Try standing up. <laughs> it, it'll, it'll, you probably won't just fall over. But it, it is, there are physical things that help us to focus when we pray. So normal in the Bible is to stand and pray. You don't have to do that, but that's just, I'm just telling you what we find in the Bible. However, there are exceptions, and that is when people knelt to pray. And when you kneel to pray, you are saying, this is intensely important. Uh, there's an emotion that might go with it. There, it might be a special occasion of some kind, but that's what you find in the Bible when you find people kneeling in prayer as opposed to standing in prayer. And so Paul it doesn't say, I stand in prayer. He says, I'm, I kneel in prayer before the Father. What I'm going to pray for now, because I'm kneeling, is really, really, really important. And you would think, because we're in the first century and we're talking about a place in the Roman Empire, and we would know from history that these are people who had a hard life. They dealt with pestilence and disease and death and war and Rome was always there and uh, infant mortality and mothers dying in childbirth and I could go on and on and on but Paul doesn't say I kneel for all of that hard stuff in life. I'm going to kneel because of something bigger than that that I want for you. It's bigger. It's really helpful. This is, I'm going to introduce this concept and I've, I've, I, I borrowed this from somebody else so some, it's not original to me, but it's, I think it's important. And this is one of these places in the scripture where we, we, it's important to, to lift our eyes and to see the big picture and to realize that this life is a dot of your whole life. It represents a dot on the timeline. The 70, 80, maybe 90 years, or however many years you have in this world, is like a dot in time. And that time is eternal, that it is a line that goes on forever. And that's helpful for those of us who in our dot life right now have a lot of anxiety. And I, I pick up on a lot of anxiety. I have, you know, radar, but I have my own anxieties. But this is one of the things that brings the anxiety down is to realize that this is just for a short time. This is, it's, it's not forever. And whatever disease or financial troubles or relational issues you have, there's an end to it. It's bracketed. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's a, that's a gift. That's not the main thing we're going to be talking about here, but it helps us to get perspective when we can see the dot in perspective to the line of eternity. And Paul is going to pray a line kind of prayer as opposed to a dot kind of prayer. They're both important. Give us this day our daily bread. Would, a lot of that is just for what is right in front of us right now. But, you know, it is at the end of the Lord's Prayer, we talk about the kingdom, which is forever and ever. Amen. We're unto the line. All right. So let me give you a little bit more here. Um, I'm going to give you some specifics and a little, little bit out of the, the dot life that I have lived since Easter. Uh, we had in this campaign, one of the beautiful things was the prayer vigil that we did right before Easter. And thank you to all of you who participated in that in one way or another. Many of us were actually signed up to be here for an hour at a time in this room right here. And I know some of you were on your knees. So I, I know that. I, I looked in. How's that? I, I, yeah, peeping, uh, whatever that is, pastor, as people were praying, yeah. But, but it's, it's, it was a, a wonderful time. Now, I had the time between midnight and one in the morning. 
and that, that is only important because of the story I'm going to tell. There were um, uh, two people that I heard from, and one of them was my wife. And my wife is, she's, she's a very solid person. I mean, she, you know, she doesn't say things that are kind of out there. But she came back after she prayed, and she was from, uh, I think, two to three in the morning. And she said, craziest thing, but there were birds singing. I mean, just birds active singing at two to three in the morning. And then Pastor Nancy, she was from uh, one to two. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was one to two. And at any rate, for those two hours, they both commented that there were birds. I've never heard birds sing between two and four in the morning. Honestly. I mean, I, and I get up early from the, the hearing birds in these days because we have our windows open and, you know, right about, what is it, 5 or 4.30 now, four, maybe 4 now, and, but not, this was, this was a couple of months ago, you know, and it was, those are dark hours. Birds don't sing that, do they not know their job description? Come on. So I don't know what that means. And some of you who are, you know, more um, prone to speculate on that kind of stuff, uh, go, ahead, go ahead, have at it. But I do know this, that when Moses saw the burning bush, he had to go over and look at it and say, I've never seen that before. And that's where he met God. And so maybe there's something in that. And I, I just wanted to share that with all of you so it didn't, you know, I keep it to myself. But I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not one to speculate. Other than I think God was maybe getting our attention. In the wake of the Easter, uh, we began to do weekly prayer uh, times. We meet right here every Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock. And as two or more are gathered, we expect Jesus to show up and listen to our prayers. Now, part of our prayer, and I would say the central motivation for that prayer time, is that we might know the love of God and we might overflow with the love of God to the world that he loves. That's, that's just absolute... Do you think that's on God's heart? Sometimes we don't know what's on God's heart, and we pray for things that we think we need or whatever. But I can say with 100% certainty that that would be a prayer that God would want to answer. And so we pray that, as amongst other things. But I wanted to share this part because it relates to the, the um, kneeling on your knees, or getting on your knees, and that is that if, um, but I think it was right after Easter, where in my morning prayers, uh, I kept feeling this thing about what I said earlier, kind of getting on my knees, and I would take it metaphorically, and I decided I'm just going to do it. And I did it. And I did it, and I did it, and it's become more of a habit now. Getting on my knees to pray. And when I get on my knees to pray, I have more clarity, more focus, more a sense of, God, whatever it is you want, I want. And what that has led me is, one, is it's helped me with my anxiety stuff. I want to put that out there just if you're... It can help you with that because you focus in on the Father in a way that you might not otherwise. Just focus, you know. But what it's really gotten me into is to pray a prayer for love in my heart to grow, for love in this church to grow, and for that to be seen clearly and experienced by the world around us that God loves. Now, I know that's on God's heart. So it relates to the prayer I just said earlier with this little group on Wednesday mornings, but that's what I know God wants. So, uh, kneeling before the Father. I kneel before the Father. And the reason is the gospel. Experiencing uh, God is the second part of our, his love. And verse 16 talks about having the power that comes through the Spirit. 
And then in verse 18, we learn that it's the power to grasp. So here's what God seems to, or Paul is praying for his, the people he's writing to. He's praying that they would have the power by the Holy Spirit to grasp how much God loves them. That's what he's praying for here. I'll say it again. He's praying that these people in Ephesus would have the power that comes from the Holy Spirit to grasp how much God loves them. And you might ask, well, doesn't God, don't they already know that? These are Christians that Paul is writing to. And, and uh, they, surely they know that God loves them. What do you think? I mean, how can, why does Paul write that way if, he, if they're already Christians? And this is where the prayer is going to go. But you can know something. How far is it from here to here in terms of mind to heart? How far is that? It, it's eight, it literally 12 inches, but figure, it, it really is, it can be miles. To know something here and to experience it here is it's a huge difference. And um, so I want to say a good word about the denomination to which we are a part, the Evangelical Covenant Church, because our roots, this is into the history stuff, but our roots are in a reaction against a faith that was narrowed down and truncated to a mind-type faith, as opposed to a heartfelt belief that led to real actions. And it, 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 so the mind is important. I don't want to say it's not important. It's, in, it's there, but you, it, it's the heart and then those actions. And the mind is there to help us interpret all that. But it, you got boiled down into that, into that one thing. And it's such a, I'm so grateful that people you know, before us have put that emphasis there, that we can remember that. And that's obviously what the scripture, I mean, to me it's obvious that's what the scripture is saying. We're, we're in, in historically, it's called pietism, which may sound like a disease to you, but it's a good thing. Pietism. That's the historical name for it. So Paul is praying that we would grasp, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the, how much love God has for you. The word grasp, let's hover over that for just a minute. The word grasp literally means to wrestle to the ground. <laughs> to wrestle to the ground. And what does it mean for you to wrestle to the ground the truth of the gospel? I'm going to suggest it has something to do with moving from your head to your heart. That you're going to, ha- you're going to absorb this truth with your whole being and it will change you as opposed to, oh, I get it, I understand it, of course, you know, and all that. But you actually experience, this is what Paul is praying, that these people who, they are Christians, but they don't know the fullness of God's love for them. And he's going to argue in a minute that no one can know the fullness of God's love for them, but it is so immense and so big, don't ever think you can put it into a category with your mind. That's where he's coming from. So to grasp, literally, I mean, if we take the the metaphor, it means to wrestle it to the ground. When you wrestle the gospel to the ground, guess what? You get grasped by the gospel. Because it's way bigger than you are. So the word meditate might come, be helpful here for some of you who like that word. Because it, it, it is, it's taking it in and uh, into your inner being. Paul uses that phrase, in your innermost being, this truth. There was a man, another history guy here, but I want to introduce to you, if you don't already know this name, Blaise Pascal, in uh, 17th century France. And um, this is something that he wrote. 
And um, he was a Christian, and uh, he would have been somebody who, he roughly 30 years old when, when he wrote this, and this is something that he put into his pocket of his coat, and he sewed it in to his pocket of his coat. And this is the original document we have from that. We should have our friend uh, Eric here, translator, or Sophie, translate it for us. It's in French, but it's um, obviously hard to read. So I do have uh, something from him that we can read. This is just part of what he wrote. And I want to, uh, before I read it, he experienced what Paul is talking about here. He was grasped as he, was, as he grasped God. The year of grace, 1654, Monday the 23rd of November, from about half past 10 at night to about half an hour after midnight, so uh, a couple hours, he writes this word in bold, fire. He had fire in his soul. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and scholars. And I need to tell you that he was a philosopher and a scholar. He, was, um, he, he invented the modern calculator. That was part of what he did. And he had other things that probability theory and, and uh, anyway, lots of stuff. That, that He was a scholar, a philosopher, um, an inventor. But that's not the God he had, that's where he was as a Christian, <laughs> operating in that realm. But he just on this night, he had a new revelation of who God was. He's not that God. It's different. Cer- here's what he says. Certitude, heartfelt joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, may I never be separated from him. And this is just a little bit of it. Now, he had that sewed into the pocket of his coat where it was right there next to his heart when he died. <laughs> it changed his life. Was he a Christian before that? Yes, he was a Christian before that. Had he experienced and been grasped by the love of God? No, he had not. And usually for most of us, it's a process. And it's not all one or all the other. And I, I'm guessing, I know that if I were to write something down and sew it into the pocket of my coat, you know, it's funny, my wife, I got, I got, she's not here, so I'll tell you the story. <laughs> I, just, I just thought of it. But a few years ago, we were traveling uh, to uh, another country and I needed uh, a pocket. It was kind of ripped and I needed something to put my passport in. And so I said, honey, you know, the guy, I can't sew. Can, could you sew this for me? And she did, but she actually sewed the thing shut. <laughs> I have a jacket. It's a funny, we laugh about it all the time. Whenever I wear that jacket, I say, hey, honey, look at my secret pocket. <laughs> at any rate, what would I put in that secret pocket had I done that, you know, and, and what would it be? Well, I don't have an event like uh, Pascal had, but I have events, little things where I have gone over to the burning bush or heard the birds in the night, and I've experienced God in a deeper way, the love of God for me in a deeper way, and I could talk about those. I think that's normal for the Christian life. This prayer that Paul is praying is not for the super spiritual. It's available to you. It's available and it's possible and it's accessible to you to one degree or another. You'll never fully know the love of God. It's too big to fully know until we get onto that line. But we can know it. We can taste it more deeply. And the one thing we don't want to go towards is just truncating, uh, truncating it down into a, a thought process that is devoid of heart. Grasping the love of God. That's the Holy Spirit's work in us. And what is it 
that this love is all about? Well, Paul gives it a shot. He, he knows that his language is not adequate to the task, but he talks about this love that we might know how wide it is, how long it is, how deep it is, and how high it is. And he gives us some descriptives there that at least help us to imagine the word of God or the, the love of God to us. So let's just take a shot at it. And I'll use scripture mostly. But we have um, the, the width of God's love. In Revelation chapter 7, there's a picture of every tribe, every nation, every people group that is worshiping the living God around his throne. That's width. That there is, we might think of width in terms of grace, that God would not exclude anyone from his grace. But we might also think of it in terms of diversity, one of the values that we have, in, that we're emphasizing during our 2020 vision. So it, the, however you want to picture it, it's wide. How long is God's love? I mean, it's kind of a silly question, isn't it? I don't know how to answer it. How long is God's love? Well, if I go with time, the, again, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 says that before the creation of the world, Christ was slain for us. Now, how's that true? I thought it happened 2,000 years ago. No, it was baked into the creation story. I mean, that's a long time. You think about it. However many thousands, millions, billions of years ago, Christ crucified on the cross was a truth that was waiting for the reality to happen out of the love of God for you and for me and for the world. How deep is the love of God? What helps me is to think about Jesus' hands. This is just for me, but I think about his hands being held out like this and accepting those nails into his palms. And he's going, for me, it's like this. And he's saying, come to me. Come, come to me. It's an invitation to come as we see his arms stretched out by the world, nailing him to the cross. How deep is the love of Christ as you visualize him on the cross? And how high is the love of Christ? This is where Paul, in another part of what he writes in Romans, says that, um, I am convinced that neither life or death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a nosebleed read. That's a high scripture. It's another one of those places where you get up there so high. That's how high God's love is. And you know, it says, Peter says that the angels long to look into the gospel of God's love. Why do the angels long? To, it's like they can't grasp it. Grasp it. Unless you're imperfect, you can't grasp how much God loves you. It's just the way it works. That's the gospel. Well, finally, in our, uh, the outline, the last part, I'm going to have us read together this last thing here in just a minute, but I want to talk about what it means to ask or imagine God is able to do. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than, we, than, than all we can ask or imagine. Let's start with that. So, uh, do you feel like you've asked or imagined a lot from God? I mean, do you feel that? I don't know. I'm just curious because sometimes I feel like I don't ask nearly enough and so other times I feel like a whiner. But 
Um, I'm not sure, but I know that as a, as a church that in February of 2015, this, these, these are what I call, these are my office, I call them the sacred scrolls. And um, they're, they're categorized, and in that weekend that we did, which was a, a 2020 Vision Summit, um, there's, a, there's a category called dreams, there's one called visions, there's one called initiatives, uh, there's another one, I can't remember the name, but they're, they're just things that we collected on paper that this, this is going to get turned over to our, our vision action team that will figure out how these funds get dispersed over the next three years. These are huge. Whoa, they're huge. They are, there's big dreams in there. We thought big. We didn't hold back. We thought about how we could impact this world. And thank you to all of you who participated in that. And if you weren't there, just know that it was, I mean, we trust, this is it. We trust the Holy Spirit was leading that. And as a leader, this is where I function, right? We're going to do that, and then we're going to see where it leads us. And we determined together that you can't do that without getting outside our normal financial stuff. And so we did this campaign. That's really what it's all about. That's it. So we're going to turn that over to that team and see what they can do. But I, am, I actually take comfort in the fact that everything we've asked God for in here is small. That he is able to do way more than that. And I don't know what's going to happen in the end of, at the end of three years, but I know this good. I think it'll be different, but I'm sure there will be surprises because God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. According to his power, the power that is by the Holy Spirit, remember that, it's not by might, it's not by power in ourselves, but by his spirit, says the Lord. It is not by technology, it is not by money, it is not by politics, it is not by whatever, military strength, it is by the spirit that his kingdom comes. So I'm trusting that. And then to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. And this particular campaign, we've been focusing on the next generation, but that's the dot. And now we go to the line throughout all generations forever and ever. Glory to God. So would you uh, stand and we'll read this together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.